Welcome to episode 31 of Lil Muck, a tiny slice of the Muck podcast where we've talked to people in the media and politics about their favorite stories or experiences. I'm Tina Jaramillo. And I'm Hillary Doherty. Today we are interviewing President and CEO of Ruthless Florida, Lucy Sedgwick. Hillary, tell us about today's guest. Well, Lucy has dedicated her career to building movements and training the next generation of democratic leadership. Yes, yes, yes. In 2020, she (laughs) led Colorado's Abortion Access for All campaign, a statewide coalition that defeated a high-profile initiative to ban abortion later in pregnancy. Though Through her work, Lucy has trained hundreds of organizers, campaign staff, and candidates. She served as National Training Director for Warren for President, yes, and National Training Director for the Progressive Change Campaign Committee, where she taught Democratic candidates at all levels how to run and win campaigns. Lucy is based in St. Petersburg, Florida, one of my favorite cities of all time. Welcome, Lucy. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be on and chatting with you both. Oh, my gosh. So, like, everything you've done and all this work, we are insane about all of these things. We loved Warren. Hello. Yes. Oh, my God. Oh, God, I loved Warren. And uh, training training Democratic candidates, like, there's nothing better than this. Like, we need this so desperately so um, especially here in florida especially in florida so i guess our first question would be how did you get involved in politics and this work oh boy there are so many different stories i could tell i think life is just a series of moments leading us to where we are but you know i was thinking about this and i think at the end of the day one moment that kind of really crystallized my choice to work both in politics and specifically around mobilizing people power actually happened when I was in college. I was at Brown University. I was studying environmental science. And, you know, I thought that what the world needed was more technological solutions to climate change. I was particularly interested in agriculture. And, you know, being on a campus that was known for its activism and its organizing, you know, many of our graduates at Brown have gone on to work in politics. Uh, Cecile Richards, uh, former president of Planned Parenthood, being a great example of this. So one day I got the idea in my head that if I'm so concerned about agricultural systems and where our food comes from, shouldn't my university, an Ivy League university that's known for being environmentally conscious, have more sustainable local food options for our students on campus? So I set up a meeting with Dining Services, the head of Dining Services, and I went in and I basically presented a paper that I had written in one of my classes outlining the research around sustainable and local food sources and how beneficial they can be not only for the environment, but also for lifestyles, for their health. Mm. And I basically got a thanks, but no thanks. We're doing what we're doing. Mm. We have our systems in place. And... You know, at the time I thought, well, this, well, to be honest, I thought, well, this sucks. (laughs) I spent all of this time pulling together this research. And, you know, I was back in my dorm chatting with a couple of friends and we decided, well, what if we got a bunch of students together and signed petitions asking for more sustainable and locally sourced food options in the dining hall? So we grabbed our clipboards, we went and used the copy machines at the library and stood outside of the dining hall gathering petitions. And I set up a follow-up meeting with Dining Services. This time I was much more nervous because I now knew what a no felt like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I walked into the meeting. I had a big binder with me full of all of the petitions. And I 
plopped it down on the table, kind of with a big bang right between us. And their eyes kind of widened. And I said, these are petitions signed by thousands of students. Last time I was asking, this time I'm telling you, we need more sustainable and local food options. Mm. And we walked out of that meeting with a million dollar commitment to transitioning Brown University's food over to more sustainable options. And that was just a light bulb moment for me, realizing that people power wasn't just something other students talked about. It was something that decision makers listened to. And I realized that if you can just get enough people on the same page advocating for what they want to see in the world, people in power have to listen. And I really think at the end of the day, that's what led me to Ruthless. Because when I see what's happening here in Florida, we have a lot of decision makers who aren't listening to their constituents. Mm. And we need to elect people who are ready and willing to listen to what the people they've been elected to serve have to say represent their best interests. So yeah. kind of a long story, but that is, that's what it's not about of kind of how oh, I, I came great to be where story. I am. Yeah. I love that. Great, story. great story. And it's so powerful mm. that you were able to make this change and see the change happen. Yeah. So you did, um, you spent some time in Colorado working on reproductive rights and abortion access. And, you know, here in Florida, we know that, that, uh, they keep chipping away at the reproductive rights here. How can we combat similar laws sweeping across America or here in Florida? And do you think that Roe v. Wade is truly in jeopardy? Oh, gosh. I wish that the framework you said here, the idea that we're just chipping away at it here in Florida was true. I mean, the reality is we don't really have reproductive rights mm. and abortion rights here in Florida. You know, since 2011, anti-abortion politicians have passed more than, oh gosh, it's it's something like 480 medically unnecessary and frankly, just politically motivated state restrictions that have created really a web of barriers that push safe and affordable abortion care out of reach for many. And I think between the three of us on this call, we can probably all agree that reproductive health care decisions should be made by a woman and their family mm-hmm. in consultation with their doctor Absolutely. without this political interference. But all of these abortion bans, they are political attacks. These are not about health care or medicine. And politicians have consistently pushed abortion care out of reach, especially for those struggling financially for young people, for LGBTQ people, Black, Indigenous, people of color. And at the end of the day, when someone decides to have an abortion, they should have support and respect. Their experience should be without shame or pressure. And we are so far from that here in Florida right now. We have backslid just about as far as you can. Mm. So, yeah, I wake up every day and while I'm glad Roe v. Wade still stands, the reality is our state restrictions have, have made it all but but an ideal. And it's not only to abortion access, but it's also taking away access for regular health care for women. And I was speaking to a friend today and she was saying how she wanted to um, maybe switch back and go to a Planned Parenthood. She doesn't have insurance. Mm. And the one that she used to go to doesn't exist there. So she right. would have to drive very, very far just to even have access to a local Planned Parenthood. Right. Like it's not here anymore. Right. 
And it was the one yeah. at, at, like in our local area that was here forever. Yeah. You know, and, and that's a shame as well because it's taking away all sorts of health care, not yeah. just abortion care. That's exactly right. I mean, it's just one issue, one part of a person's health that's being impacted and all of the other pieces that come with it. And it's not accidental that these clinics that provide so many different services are essentially being pushed out of business. And they're being pushed out of business by a Republican-controlled legislature and a Republican-controlled governor's office. That's just the truth. Oh, it's so incredibly frustrating. It's yeah. so frustrating. Um I mean, we talked about this all the time, but like Nikki Freed was was uh, giving we, we saw her speak a few weeks ago. and She talked about how Florida is progressive. You know, we Floridians vote for, you know, 15 minimum wage, legalizing marijuana, um, the Amendment 4 for returning, restoring the voting rights for returning citizens. And then they go and vote for Republicans, like right, yeah. like uh, the, the same ballot. Mm-hmm. They're all then they, they vote for all of these progressive like amendments and then. At the top of the ballot, they're voting for Republicans. Like those Which are the same people who are going to yeah. slash those amendments when they get up there. It's like voters don't. I, I'm so I always get frustrated with voters. I, I just don't <laughs> understand. Like, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? It's so it's insane. It doesn't yeah. make any sense. But um, okay, so let's talk about um, organizing. So, what's the most challenging part about running a campaign? I can't even imagine the moving parts of this. So, what do you think is the most challenging part for you? When, when you're organizing a group of people? Yeah, of course. I think that one of, gosh, there are so many challenges. It's hard to pick one. But, you know, when I think about the challenges that our candidates face here in Florida running for office, you know, yeah. I think one of the biggest challenges is just how much and how many finance, financial resources you need to raise to run for office in this state. Mm. This is a really expensive state to run for office in. You have to spend a lot of time on the phone talking to donors, convincing them that that you're the right person for the job. And I'm not just talking about the top of the ticket races. I think that's something that gets a lot of attention in the press, just how much we spend on the governor's race or Mm -hmm. how much we spend on the presidential race here. But our state legislative seats, you know, for example, our state Senate seats, they are multi, multi-million dollar affairs wow. in many cases. They are more expensive in a lot of cases than congressional races in other parts of the country <sighs> by a landslide. Wow. This creates a real barrier of entry for the people who are actually best positioned to mm. serve their communities. And so when you're running for office, you have to be ready to spend a lot of time asking for money every single day, mm. day in, day out, because that's what it takes to get your message out to your constituents, the Floridians, to actually get them to vote for you. And I actually love what you said about, gosh, you know, when it comes to the issues, we are a progressive state. And yet when it comes to the candidates we vote for, mm-hmm. there, there's a gap here. There's a disconnect. Mm-hmm. And I think at the end of the day, it's up to candidates to tell a more compelling message. Yeah. Talk about the issues yeah. and lead with that. Unfortunately, Democrats, we tend to be a little bit wonky. I have obviously worked for one of the wonkiest out there, Senator Elizabeth Warren. It is just remarkable to see how far she's come from her first races in terms of being able to talk about issues that she is probably knows more than anybody else out there Mm -hmm. about financial regulations and talk about a phrase that puts people to sleep, but to be able to actually talk about these issues in a way that resonates with people, to talk about how it feels 
to have bills piling up that you don't know how to pay for mm. while you're watching multi-billion dollar organizations get bailed out. It's those kinds of stories that our candidates need to be able to tell so that voters can connect with it. Yeah. Right. And if they didn't have to spend all of their time on the phone trying to raise <laughs> money, they could spend more time yeah. trying to connect with candidates in a different way. And I mm-hmm. it's just I've just found that a lot of Democratic candidates, at least the ones that I've seen, for the most part, want to just attack the other side. Right. Like for years, at least for the last two years, not this last session, actually, when they came back, because they had so much other things to talk, so many yeah. other things to talk about. <laughs> but they would come back and be like, oh, DeSantis is awful or, oh, Trump is so bad. And, oh, we're fighting. The-. No, wait a minute. But what what about these issues that we want to see right. pass? Like, can we focus on some policy? And they just wanted to attack the other side. And it didn't really it doesn't help anything. It doesn't move anything forward. And it certainly doesn't make me want to go out and vote. You know what I mean? When you're just attacking the other side and saying how bad they are. You know what I mean? You, Oh, you are absolutely right. People don't want to show up and vote to stop something. They want to show up to vote for something. Yes. So we need to be talking about clean water. We need to be talking about affordable housing. We need to be talking about how to make our way safely out of a global pandemic that has hit Florida hard Mm, yes we need to talk about what we're fighting for not just what we are fighting against yes and that is something that i think unfortunately democrats have learned the hard way Mm -hmm. and my hope is that this cycle you know in in 2021 and 2022 we'll see democrats start to take that to heart and start talking about the things that they're fighting for not just who they're fighting against yeah because once you are talking about your opposition you are just a mouthpiece for them. Yeah, right. yeah. It's bringing attention. Yeah, it's bringing yeah. attention to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, can you tell us about Ruthless Florida and why it's so important to elect progressive women into these seats? I would be happy to. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ruthless, we are the only organization in the state that is dedicated to electing Democratic pro-choice women here in Florida. Mm. We inspire women to run. We hone their skills to win because at the end of the day, we know that when a woman is truly connected to her community and prepared, she really is the best champion. She is the change that we're talking about. She is the person who will be actually fighting for things instead of fighting against. And that's really at the end of the day, what, what we're trying to accomplish. You know, It's remarkable to see since 2016 just how much has happened in terms of women running for office. Mm. And more and more women are are standing up and saying, yes, I want to run. I'm thinking about it. We have record numbers of women reaching out to us every day. In fact, it's almost more than my team can handle. Mm. Wow. We have women pick up the phone and call us and email us. And it hasn't gone down. And that's very exciting. But the reality is we have a long way to go. Mm. Florida has never elected a woman governor. Mm. Only 34% of our state legislature is female. And only 19% of that is actually Democratic women. And it's not just about equal representation for equal representation. Research actually shows what the three of us probably already know, which is that women govern differently than men. Mm -hmm. They are more collaborative and bipartisan. They are faster problem solvers. They advance more policies that actually benefit our communities on many of the issues that we've already talked about on this call. And I will tell you just kind of anecdotally, 
when I sit down to talk to one of the women that we've elected, especially in the state legislature, the first thing they want to tell me is, I got six bills passed. Here's what yeah. the six bills were. Yeah. Or here's a bill I just introduced that I'm really excited to push forward. These women are doers. And the main reason that women are so underrepresented is that they don't run in the first place. Mm. Only one out of every eight women who consider putting their name on the ballot actually end up doing it. And that's mm. why we need an organization like Ruthless to go out and say, you thought about it, you should actually do it. You should put your name on the ballot and we'll be there with you every step of the way to make sure you're set up for success and get you across the finish line. Oh, it's incredible. It's incredible because listen, we talked, we've already talked on the podcast about, I mean, we're in Broward, right? So we have some incredibly talented and powerful and amazing leaders from Broward that went to the state house this year. We had Robin Bartleman, Marie Woodson, Christine Hunchofsky. Um, We have Sabrina Javiana, who's a local Hallandale commissioner. We have Nancy Mateo, who's in in Coral Springs as a commissioner. And they're doing... I think Christine Hunchofsky, Rep Hunchofsky got six bills yeah, six passed bills. in this last session. Yeah. It's it's incredible the work she's doing. And she was crossing the aisle and trying to work with the other side and doing things. It's just, it's so necessary. We view things from a different point of view as women. Uh, we have more compassion, if you ask me. Uh, we have more patience, if you ask me. I don't think it's as ego-driven, if you ask me. But <laughs> I really think it's really important that women are the leaders. And yes. for the future of everyone women should be the leaders yeah, i mean million, i don't there's no other percent. way about it i doesn't nothing else percent. makes sense to me but i am a woman so that's how i <laughs> feel about things but um how are we looking i know it's funny know. how are we looking <laughs> you know i have a vested interest in the state i have yes. a daughter here i have a son here Ch- yes. tina has children here and so you know, it's very important for us that we stop the, the shenanigans yes. that are happening in Tallahassee. We need to, to save our, we need our state back. We do. And it's because the back. damage has been done and we need to start reversing it and changing things. And so how are we looking for this next cycle? I mean, I know you, you just mentioned that there's a lot of women reaching out. I mean, are we going to be able to flip seats or is there anyone in particular you want to mention we could talk about? Like, how are we looking? And we know a lot about South Florida, but like yeah. what's happening in Northern Florida? Yeah. Or yeah. In those areas in those that a- are real red areas yeah. of the state. Yeah. <laughs> Lots you of questions. Do. This is, this is exactly <laughs> the questions that keep me up. Oh, I'm sorry. I know. So, I'm sorry. Here's the good news and the bad news. I'll start with the good news first. We as I mentioned, are seeing record numbers of women not only interested in running for office, but actually taking the steps to do it. And in fact, this year, we will have more women running for office. And next year, we will endorse more women than we have ever endorsed every list. We are awesome. looking at about 30 women this year alone in a in what many people call a quote-unquote off cycle, which mm. as an aside, I hate that term because yeah. there is no such thing as an off year especially when you look at down ballot races, you really, you have to always be building. And I think next year we'll be supporting over a hundred women running for office. That's amazing. That's that's the good news. And I think that the vast majority of these women will win their races. Last year in a really tough year for Democrats, 64% of our candidates won their races. We elected Mm. almost 60 women to office. Amazing. Many of those, 
were on the municipal level, where we were flipping seats from Republican control to Democratic, where we were electing women to bodies where only men had served in the past. Mm. And I think that is something to highlight, especially in kind of our modern news cycle where we're very much drawn to kind of doom and gloom all the time. But mm. there, are, there are glimmers of hope out there. There are trends that I'm certainly seeing that, that indicate we're moving in the right direction. So that's the good news. Yeah, that's very good bad to hear. News, mm-hmm. Very good. <laughs> the bad news is this is going to take time. If I was going to get on the phone with you and say, yep, we're going to flip the legislature next year. Mm. 2022 is our year. I'd be lying to you. This is a long-term fight. I think realistically, we're talking about a decade of hard work to get back to where we want to be. And in some ways, it might get worse before it gets better. But you have to remember that the Republicans have spent decades building a sense of candidates. Marco Rubio has had a job within the Republican Party in one way or another since he was 21 years old and took his first internship out of college. And we as Democrats, we haven't done as good a job building that bench. Mm-hmm. It's and true. And that's part of why, that's part of why I took this job and, and moved to Florida to be here because I know it's a long-term fight and I know that we can do it, but it's, we're all going to have to roll up our sleeves and do our part. We're going to have to donate. We're going to have to knock doors. We're going to have to make calls and we're going to have to do it not just for the top of the ticket, but all the way down the ballot for yeah. the local woman who is running for your city council or your school board. Because that is the woman who's going to run for governor in 10 years. And she's also your line of defense while we see the state legislature continue to, as you put it, pull shenanigans for Mm -hmm. the next couple of cycles. We need that secondary line of defense of local control. And that's one thing that Florida does have going for it. We actually have more control on the local level Mm -hmm. in terms of local governance than many other places in the country. Well, for now, hopefully that that doesn't get chipped away at as well. Yeah, the home so, rule. Oh, the home rule, I know. So I love this idea of building benches. So how do you think, you know, people listening, how can, can we encourage more women to either run for office or intern or do these things so that we can help build these bench, you know, build the bench for the future? Yeah, well, I'll start here. One fact that I've heard many times, and who knows where it came from, but in my mind, it's a fact. Women need to be asked seven times to run for office. Mm. So for all those listeners out there, I hope you consider this one of your seven asks. Mm. If you are thinking about it, you should run for office. You are the change that we need. And I think the next step is to go to our website, ruthless.org. We've got all the forms, contact information on there. Reach out to us. It is our job to help you put together a plan to win. So even if you are just at the beginning stages of thinking about it, we want to talk to you. We want to talk about what that path looks like for you, even if it's not next year, even if it's five years from now. We want to talk about it now. And if you know that running for office isn't in the cards for you, there are a lot of ways that you can help. We have women on our website Right now, we have at least five races. We've got others that we're considering endorsing in just a few weeks. So if you are looking for a race to get plugged in, in into in your local community, we have women who are running who need your help. And it's tough when you're running for city council or school yeah. board to have people actually go out and knock doors for you. 
spending two hours knocking doors for your local city councilor candidate or your school board candidate or your mayor, those make a real difference. Those face-to-face conversations with voters, that's what changes things. It's incredible. It is. And listen, I mean, and it's, a, it's a lot of work that we have to do. We have to do it. Uh, we just have to do well, it. Well, what choice do we have? Like I, know. I said, we got, we're here. Oh. I, you know, I'm refinancing my mortgage. I, you know, <laughs> I'm here. I'm here for another 30 something years. Uh, Lucy, I'm in trouble. Do you understand? My house is going to be underwater. Uh, yeah. I need to have some women elected in this thing. I state. know. Yeah. Speaking of the environmental, yeah. you know, we're, we're all going to be underwater in South Florida. <laughs> it's not good. It's not good. Listen, Lucy, I love the state of Florida. Okay. Hello? I love it too. Oh, there you go. I, <laughs> I was making sure you're still here. <laughs> yes. I love it and I want it to um I want it to come back to me. Do you know yes. what I mean? Like I feel like it's it's a baby that's kind of floated away. I need my baby to come back to right. me. And I just I was raised here. I enjoy this state. I love it. I just feel like it's in the hands of a madman or like like people who just like look at that legislator this year who was like they said, why are you even passing? Why are you doing this? And like he's like, because we can, you know, we have yeah, the power oh, it's, it's and we can do awful. these destructive things that don't that don't help anybody, you know, and they don't benefit the state. They and especially don't. like environmentally, there's so many things that we really need to be focusing on. Yeah. And the attention gets drawn away. Yeah. But this organization, Ruthless, yes. it's doing incredible work. And the fact that they're working for to elect progressive women is uh, is exactly what we need to turn the state around. So, I mean, you have right. my full support and I know Tina's full right. support. And pro-choice yes. women because we know that there are Democratic women out there yes. that are elected to seats that are not that 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 do not support reproductive rights. That's and true. it's important mm-hmm. that that piece is a part of it. Yes. So I love that piece that yes. that is always, you know, a part of it. Of course. So we encourage our audience to please go to Ruthless website and see how you can help. If you're interested in running for office, uh, let me know. I mean, I would be happy to support any woman who's running yes. for office. This is amazing. I'm so excited. I really want to thank you for coming on the podcast with us today. Yeah. Thank you so Absolutely. much. Absolutely. Yes. It was my pleasure. It was wonderful to chat with you all. And I certainly know what you mean about that feeling of hopelessness. Yeah. A feeling like you open. You open the newspaper, you read a line about your governor, and you just think, that's not my governor. This mm-hmm. is not my state legislature. And I've got the anecdote for you. Roll up your sleeves. Get to work. Let's elect some women. Oh, so yes. So Girl, I'm here for <laughs> it. All oh, right. my God. Thank you. Let's do it. All right. Thank you so much. Thanks. Bye. Bye. If you want to learn more about this week's guest, please follow the episode notes on our blog at themuckpodcast.fireside.fm. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support The Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level. Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. Music for The Muck Podcast, written and performed by Sean Doherty.